HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. If I say Kraft, Cracker Jacks, Quaker Oats, Cheerios, Oscar Mayer, are you getting any connection? Maybe if I say Vienna beef, deep dish pizza. Okay, now there's a little twinkle of recognition. You got it. We're talking Chicago today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And yes, indeed, today we are talking about Chicago, my kind of town. And it's Chicago, a food biography. If you really didn't know about Chicago and its food, this is the place to find out. It's a new book, recently new book, by two authors who are destined to become the new Ben and Jerry's, or dare I say, the Oscar and Meyer Dan Block and Howard Rosing. Dan is a professor of geography and director of the Fred Bloom Neighborhood Assistance Center at Chicago State University. And Howard is executive director of the Stern Center for Community-Based Service Learning and Community Service Studies at DePaul University, as well as the co-director of DePaul's graduate program in sustainable urban development. Welcome, guys. Um, I will. Thanks for adding it. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to you one at a time. We've got you both on the phone, and I'm so glad that you could take some time out from, from your work to uh, join me this morning. Uh, Chicago, it's part of a – let me just tell our, our listeners that the book is part of a series um, from Roman Littlefield Publishers called about Big City Food – it's the Big City Food Biography Series, and it's edited by our friend Ken Albala, who is no stranger to this show. And these books are terrific. They tell the history of cities through the lens of food. And now first, Doug, uh, Dan, I'm going to ask you, are you a Chicago native? Uh, yeah, I was born uh, my, at the University of Chicago. My parents were grad students at the time. And I grew up... Um, I think we moved when I was five to Evanston, which is the first suburb north of the city. Well, that's so still, that's am, still uh, Chicago. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much Chicago. Right. And Howard, how about you? 
Uh, similar kind of trajectory. I, um, my family's all from Chicago, from the South Side, from South Shore, and um, uh, we. I grew up mostly uh, just a few miles from from Danny in in Skokie, uh, and now live in Evanston. So, well, that's terrific. So you you both know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, what I like about this book is that um, it, it it really covers food and the history of Chicago, but not necessarily just, um, you know, the, the culture, the food culture and economics, as you even say in the book, that it's a story, yes, of culture, economics and innovation, but also what I found really interesting, because I've talked about this on other shows, is the history of regulation and the regulators and how all of these things played together to really shape Chicago in, in not only as it the you know, impinging upon the foodways of Chicago, but turning it into a real food city. Um, we're going to get to that, but first I want to kind of talk about, and this I guess would be directed at, at you, Dan, um, the, the geographic location and how did that really affect Chicago's foodways? Well, um, intensely, I would say. So, uh, first of all, Chicago, um, you know, had, pre-European settlement, um, and this is an area that uh, Howard probably knows a little more about than me, but it was a place that uh, people passed through. It really wasn't um, a, a, because it was mainly swamps, um, it really wasn't a place with uh, a whole lot of sort of um, agriculture right in town. Um, and then... It was sort of this the main city at the center of the country, the the place where um, this kind of bounty of the West um, and the South and and other places, any place where a, where the Mississippi River and Illinois River and then the canal that led to Chicago and the railroads that led to Chicago, any place where any of those raw ingredients were coming from. Um, all that you know flowed into Chicago and got priced, processed, and priced, and shipped off to the East Coast and to Europe and other places. Um, so it's you know its location um, in in the center of the United States absolutely shaped um, it's the importance of food to its history and its foodways as well. Oh, I see, and, and a lot of people probably have absolutely no idea that Chicago was one large swamp. And I found the digging of the canal that connected Chicago to the rivers really interesting because I, having grown up near there, never knew that either. And it was quite interesting. Howard, um, so you would be, I know you talk in the book about the, um, the pre du sable or sable. Um, times and and who was who was this and and how what is the meaning of that when you say in in terms of the geography and the history the pre du sable times well um, essentially what you have is a Chicago with a variety of people who inhabited the area for sometimes very short periods of time and sometimes very long periods of time depending on the time period and and you have initially um, Paleo-Indian population um, that literally comes down from the north um, as the um, uh, glacier is is uh, receding and and it starts to inhabit uh, northeastern Illinois, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and um, these are these are pretty much people who are living off 
what the land is producing in terms of uh, animal life and uh, uh, rivers uh, and, and you know fishing and and various kinds of uh, hunting and gathering activities. But in time, over thousands of years, you have transitions of various types that that um, I'm gonna really shortcut into saying that there are periods of time where where um, there are certain kinds of foods that become predominant. For example, there's quite a bit of uh, nut processing that goes on in, in the area of acorns and various other kinds of nuts. There's uh, eventually lots of seeds that are produced, um, many of which are still grown in plants that are viewed as weeds today in Chicago um, that people were eating and actually at some point domesticating um, more so even than corn which arrived much later. So you have a series of different populations coming through and archaeological evidence, really, that's cited in the book um, and sort of put together around this basic theme of transitions um, until we get to the point of European contact, where you have people who are slowly but surely integrating corn and beans into their diet along with local uh, local animal consumption of various types, and principally white-tailed deer, from, for which still are prevalent in Chicago today, but were actually reintroduced after they pretty much um, were um, uh, just extinguished by the 1950s. Hmm. Interesting. It, well, it's and what I find interesting is during that time, and we all know that immigration played a tremendous role and still does in in many of the the food cultures in in the great cities. But um, aside, and you you say the introduction of European contact then brought different changes too. But I think what's unique to me, and you answer one either of you about the location of Chicago as a location, was the early mixing of the races before the European contact, probably more so than any other city we have in the United States. Um, who's going to address it? Howard? Doug? Dan? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, it wasn't, it was before the, um, there, were, there had been European contact, but uh, it was a mix of, um, you know, DuSable himself was from Haiti, and we think um, probably uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, probably some, a mixed-race person from Haiti and perhaps uh, Canada as well. Um, there was a, a group of people called the Meti, which were generally of mixed uh, French and Native American descent. Um, and then there was, um, you know, the the traders who came in who were French, and then once, uh, uh, or Meti, and then once um, this was part of the United States, they were, some of them were from, uh, were of um, English descent or other um, European descent. And, and then Fort Dearborn opened, and Fort Dearborn was, you know, had uh, generally... Um, Americans from the East Coast, and so you had uh, you know this mixing at uh, places like uh, it's it's actually sort of a famous picture or, or scene in in Chicago history. Um, so you had places like the Saganash Hotel, um, which was owned by a guy named Mark Bovian, um, who is. Um, his family was originally from Detroit. He was a Medi trader himself. Um, but, you know, he played the fiddle, and there's these images of uh, the uh, daughters from the um, 
the daughters of the Medi uh, dancing with the um, with the some of the the men from the uh, um, from Fort Dearborn. So you know, it was kind of this this mixing of of all these different groups for really only um, you know. A few years, uh, it, talking, you know, from around the late 1820s until the uh, about 1834, when the Treaty of Chicago was signed, and the Native Americans were pretty much uh, kicked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, really, the uh, the true growth of Chicago as a town, and then quickly as a city, began. Mm. Uh, you know, it what. Um, I think what a lot of people don't um, don't understand so much about Chicago, and, and um, or maybe they do, is that you t- um, it was not you had mentioned it, or someone of you had mentioned it at the top of of the show when we talked. They um, that it, even though it was sort of in this agricultural area, it really is not. Did never never became like a let's say a breadbasket but more of a, a wholesale food center and to this day still continues i mean of course we talk about you know meats the meat packing you know, area and the stockyards and if anyone remembers way back when there was you know that was a place to get an incredible steak go to the stockyard inn and and have an incredible steak right off the <laughs> right mm-hmm. off the stockyards but um so uh, Tell us a little bit about, and then, of course, the mercantile exchange, you know, became very big and popular. So um, tell us a little bit about that development of the the whole wholesale from from a food, you know, center to a, you know, from a food market, let's say, hay market was huge, right? Talk a little bit about that, about the development of the city in terms of the markets. So um, the wholesale market really was a kind of key to the development of the city as a whole and really to the development of the American food system as a whole. So um, originally food came in generally uh, over the canal and and um, and people would uh, take their wares and sell maybe samples of them um, along the river. And that's why uh, the original wholesale market started up at uh, what was called South Water Market, which was on on the the warehouses that line the the main branch of the Chicago River. So what would be right now what we call Wacker Drive, um, and that was the port of Chicago, which was extremely busy in the let's say 1860s, uh, the largest freshwater port in the world, and um and so there were wholesale markets there but not just for say feeding chicago but for uh there were warehouses that sold to the you know, the entire midwest and and beyond um so again um as uh chicago became this railroad center um there was you know there were uh, produce um, as well as uh, commodities coming in from, you know, all over the uh, the South and the West. Um, say the uh, South meaning there, uh, you know, Texas, Mississippi, um, and then all of the West and as far west as California, coming into Chicago, um, being processed, being repackaged, being and then being sold to groceries and and um, 
and manufacturers in Chicago and, and throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And so South Water Market eventually it wasn't on the the, um, the train lines because it was originally sited because of where the canal, where the sort of water was, with the canal leading to the river. Um, it became much, much too uh, crowded, so they built a new South Water Market. Still called it South Water Market. It was nowhere near the water, but it was along the railroads. Um, and Howard actually uh, grew up. His his dad actually worked there. So I don't know, Howard. Do you want to say a little yeah, sure. about the, the new South Water Market? Uh, actually, my grandfather was a produce broker at South Water Market, um, and ran uh, for decades. Ran a uh, produce uh, company there, buying and selling uh, onions and and. Um, Potatoes predominantly. Um, I would say, um, just to add to what Danny uh, was saying, that Chicago really um, it took off from the beginning. Um, at, you know, just a year after the city was chartered, um, they were already shipping bushels of wheat to you know to Buffalo East um, by steamship, and and um, I mean, just just to give you the the the, the extent of it, there you know a little over 3,600 bushels sent um, in 1839, and in um, four years later there was over 628,000 bushels sent, and then by mid-century there were more than two million bushels of wheat um, and corn, uh, you know, going going out of Chicago, and and you know Chicago merges as, as this huge grain collector, right? The stacker of wheat. Uh, and corn and um, and that you know that precedes really the meat packing industry, which eventually becomes you know Chicago's almost namesake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and, and with that comes the the railroads, which became extremely important. And really, the railroads were 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 driven by the meat industry largely. And so you know, producing railroads to ship meat east. Um, and so you have this produce um, market building alongside that as well, um, as you see all this um, production coming from, as Danny mentioned, the west and the south, you know, up the rivers and, and eventually the, the trains. So it becomes, you know, car loads and then eventually truck loads of, of produce and eventually all that um, becoming, uh, you know, making Chicago really a, a world market for food. Wow. And obviously this coincided with the tremendous rapid growth of the city as well um, during that period, right? Uh, what we are going to do, well, there's, I want to talk a little bit about the, any specialty, specialty items that actually were grown and from Chicago. Uh, you mentioned very briefly, and it was also in an article about the book, about um, the Lakeview area becoming the, the celery center of, <laughs> of Chicago. Uh, a little point I have to make about that when we come back after a brief break, because we're going to fast forward to some modern day foods or not so modern that people will recognize. So stay tuned when we come back. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hadica. 
After visiting Christie's family's slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. We encourage you to visit brooklynslate.com for more. You can also get your own Brooklyn Slate care package by becoming a super fan member of Heritage Radio Network. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more. Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and we're talking about Chicago and Chicago's foodways and the history of Chicago through the lens of food with Dan Block and Howard Rosing, who've written a, a terrific uh, compendium of facts and factor, interesting factoids called Chicago, a food biography. And uh, I brought up the, the celery um, part of it, um, either of you. Only because that, that was something that was brought up in a in a newspaper article. The Tribune wrote something about mm-hmm. it. But something that is to me really special about Chicago and the hot dogs. You can't go to Chicago without having a hot dog, right? What people from perhaps the West or the East Coast would not understand is that if you are a true native and like your hot dog Chicago style, what are you gonna have on top, aside from a bunch of vegetables, which is unusual, but celery salt. <laughs> now, is yeah, this something true. that still is this something that still and that's why Dan, I, I, I remember reading you said something about um, in the article about you standing in line for the closing of hot dogs. That's another thing people got to know hot dogs and not dog, but dogs because he owned it. But that's why I keep calling you Doug instead of Dan because <laughs> you stood in line to get that last hot dog from hot dogs before they closed. Um, is celery salt still a thing that you find a lot in the hot dog stores? Uh, it's it is an essential ingredient of a Chicago hot dog. Um, I mean, I think it sort of comes out of the fact that there, you know, there is kind of a salad on top. Um, but uh, you know, it it sort of adds a uh, I don't know a kind of a and, and the word I'm thinking of is piquantness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, word. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, a kind of a smack. Um, <laughs> To it that uh, that I think really goes well with the um, the combination of mustard and onions and tomatoes and and pickle and sport peppers that uh, that are also on the dog. So yeah, highly recommended. I, I think, um, <laughs> as well, it you know all of that combination points out uh, and. Bruce Craig, who's written on hot dogs, has got into this a lot more than we did, but points out how, you know, how just in that hot dog you can see um, so many, so the sort of mix of cultures that uh, makes up Chicago food, the kosher beef hot dog, the, the, um, you know, the the vegetables themselves, uh, the like the peppers when we come from from the south, um, the um, idea of um, a combination of vegetables uh, is probably an Italian or a Greek thing. So I mean, it's it's really a, a, a great cultural mix in itself. Just that Chicago hot dog. Yeah. Well, so many big food companies uh, started to develop. I guess um, you tell me about the advent of the. Um, you know the railroad and the shipping and being the wholesale market, but tell talk about some of the big names that listeners would recognize that were I mentioned at the top of the show a couple 
Um, but some of the, the big-name companies, I said Kraft. Um, I don't know if people remember Swift or Armor, but talk about a couple of those companies that developed. Doug, Dan. Oh, got to get rid Howard, of Doug. That was Howard's Howard. chapter. Howard. That was Howard. Howard's chapter. Okay, Howard. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly you have um, all the major meat companies um, and, and all the major hot dog companies uh, coming out of Chicago, especially Vienna, um, which uh, if you drive around Chicago just any anywhere, you can't get away from seeing a Vienna, uh, you know, hot dog sign. Um, and so... We, we see, like, Chicago really emerging as this place where you have these major manufacturers like Quaker Oats and, and others who um, become, uh, become sort of an um, uh, icon of, uh, of uh, Western uh, large-scale production of, of food commodities for, for consumption, for household consumption, right? And, and really, um, just about every major company had a stake in Chicago at some time, even if they didn't originate here. Um, and, and one of the factors there was, of course, um, the meat industry, but also um, grains and, and access to just um, the, the uh, bulking of, of different kinds of foods in Chicago and the ease, really, of... Um, of people settling here from a variety of different parts of the world, um, immigrants really drove, uh, really dr- driven by sort of these large-scale manufacturing sites for for food. Predominantly, uh, you have you know, bread companies, um, you have ma- the major bread companies, you have major. Um, uh, companies like Argo, um, which uh, produces starch, uh, cornstarch, corn the famous cornstarch, right? You, you have companies like Morton Salt, right? And mm. uh, you know, founded in Chicago, um, predominantly because Chicago was salting meat, uh, which was uh, fed to Civil War uh, soldiers uh, seeking to to you know win the war for the north. So you have um, you have Chicago really as this major hub for these companies, a large, large, largely coming out of late 19th century, early 20th century um, historical uh, events. Hmm. At, in, interesting, in the cereals, too, you said a lot of grain, you know, access to the grain, so obviously there were a lot of cereal companies who were um, getting their start then, too. And as I promised, we would... Fast forward to some of today's foods that people would expect to find, whether it's street food or in, in particular restaurants. Um, and you mentioned, Howard, the Vienna, Vienna beef, Vienna sausage, um, something that – well, d- does Dan describe a Vienna? A Vienna beef sausage. Um, so it's, it's – uh, as compared to, say, uh, uh, Nathan's hot dog, it is um, – Slightly more more uh, heavily spiced. Um, it's got a little more crunch to it on the uh, on the. Um, I mean, the skin's a little crunchier. Um, holds up well to being sort of tasted within that whole you know salad that we like to put on it. Right. Um, and and it's beef, and I think you know it came out of um, you know they were first being served and. 
Maxwell Street in the you know the Jewish area of Chicago, uh, one of the many, but sort of the original sort of first generation immigrant Jewish area, um, and uh, as as a street food. And uh, now, um, you know, Vienna is a pretty large company. Um, and the Chicago hot dog is sort of going, going uh, somewhat, uh, you know, you can get them in most big cities around the country. And, and the Vienna beef dog is sort of a, um, an important part of what people sell. Um, so it's, I, I just was talking to, um, as, as I said, Bruce Craig, who's a, among other things, a hot dog historian who said that Vienna had just uh, built a, a new processing plant on the southwest side. So, um, we're doing well. It's here Chicago to stay with our, with our hot dogs. <laughs> that's great. That's that's great. Yeah. Uh, one thing we in that we I realized we didn't talk about which you you know is um, candy and the sugar industry, mm-hmm. and that was a very important part and of of Chicago food history. Who's going to take that? Well. Um I mean, this is one of the. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the book because you know you discover really uh, almost all of the candy people enjoy today in this country and perhaps a good part of the world uh, started in Chicago. I mean, before we talk about candy, we can talk about things like the Twinkie, right? Oh yeah, Chicago born, um, <laughs> which some people might consider like candy, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but, you know, companies like Sarah Lee got their start in Chicago, and, and you know, the, the sweet industry in general was very much a Chicago, um, you know, starter place. Um, and um, in Chicago, really, you see, you know, sugar coming up the Mississippi River um, into the canal and, and coming in containers uh, you know, early on. And, and early in the mid-19th century, you have a, a candy industry, a confectionery industry beginning. Um, first built on uh, sugarcane grown in the Caribbean um, by slaves. Um, and so you have that emerging, and eventually you have the development of corn syrup in Chicago um, through, uh, through, through Argo and, and uh, investments by, by uh, Joy Morton, the founder of Morton Salt. Um, and you have eventually Chicago becoming a, pla- a place where, you pr- where there's this production of a kind of sugar from corn and, and others, which goes into the candy industry. But, if, um, I mean, the real, the real catchers, of course, you have, you know, products that end up here like uh, developing here like Cracker Jacks and and eventually all the major candy companies and 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 large ones like Brock's and Fannie Mae but also the ones that people sort of know when they walk into the corner store and buy you know whether it's Wrigley chewing gum uh, you know Baby Ruth or Tootsie Tootsie Rolls or you know any of these O Henry Milk Duds etc down to the Milky Way and so um, it's really a place Chicago where candy gets gets a, gets it, Becomes Chicago becomes the candy capital at one point. Um, it loses that status eventually, but it, it is it is it was known and thought of itself as a candy capital for a long time. Hmm, and, and that's interesting. Makes it a very sweet town. I know one thing that I one of my favorites always, as I say, having grown up in the area, was not so much of the candy industry, but 
bought by a, in a department store and made for a department store were the Frango Mints. You mentioned mm-hmm. Fannie Mae Chagos. Immediately I went to Frango's, Frango Mints. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, I think it was an earlier department store before Marshall Field, Frederick and Nelson or somebody. But then Marshall Fields had their the license. And it wouldn't be a holiday time if someone didn't have a box of Frango Mints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I remember, um, you know, not all that long ago, um, when you go into fields, you know, the, there was a Frango factory upstairs. Right, right. Uh, you know, it was, you could kind of, I don't know how I knew it was up there, but uh, <laughs> when you were up on the food floor, on the seventh floor, I think I think the Frango factory was either eight or nine. Um, and you can kind of tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, that's unusual that, the fact that you know it wasn't they didn't grow the sugar there but of course the railroads and the corn syrup as you mentioned just really interesting that that's where all this candy would be developed um now of course chicago is known for its fine chefs and fine dining it's all i mean it's always had um a lot of fine dining but now of course even more so a lot of its innovative um dining and and uh but things certain things have not Left, and which is nice. I'm glad to see that. As you say, the Vienna's there to stay. Deep dish pizza. I mean, you know, how, where did that come? Where did that come about? It's not even really like a Sicilian pizza. We'll call it here out east. You know, a thick crust with some some sauce on it. But deep dish is a whole thing unto itself. So it's it's um, you know it, it it really came as an idea of a. Texan guy who moved up here during World War II. Um, you know, he had a partner um, who was a, it turned out to be an Italian chef. And um, you know, originally he wanted to start, it seemed like sort of a Tex-Mex kind of restaurant, but uh, the chef decided, uh, you know, that uh, they should do Italian He and created um, Uno's Pizzeria, the first uh, deep dish Chicago deep dish pizza, anyway. Um, like the um, like the Italian beef, like the hot dog. Uh, you know, it was a, a large <laughs> something that filled you up um, for not all that expensive. Um, but it, it caught on, and it created a, a a pizza culture in Chicago that really is about. Um, about um, about you know sort of a the sit down pizza culture rather than pizza just being a, a, the street food that it is in New York and a lot of other places. That's right. I mean, it's kind of hard to take a take a deep dish on the run. And get exactly. A slice. And we sit down. You know, you wait for forty five minutes. <laughs> you know, you get a salad or something. And right. once you eat it, you're and, definitely uh, not running. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, after it ends, you can't run either. <laughs> yeah, well, there are so many great things about about Chicago's food culture that um, are to be found in your book, but also, uh, you know, to be walking the streets and, and eating some of the food and the beer, all the beer, the beer industry. That's, that's another great thing, too. Um, that really was a, a major part of Chicago's uh, food culture, right? The beer? 
Um, yeah, I mean, early on, especially the German population uh, brought with it uh, lots of talented beer, um, and, and the German population was, you know, at one point the largest population in Chicago, and um, the um, they yeah, brought with a beer culture, a beer production culture, um, a beer consumption culture, which uh, at times the city um, government wasn't uh, too excited about. Um, some of the largest beer gardens in the country were here in Chicago, if not the largest, um, all over predominantly the north side of the city. Um, and you still find some remnants of beer gardens in Chicago's north side from mm. that era, from mid 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 nineteenth century uh, German um, you know, beer, um, really beer manufacturing and consumption. Um, the the one thing that uh, really hurt the beer industry badly was Chicago Fire, which burnt down a number of the um, the um, beer production. Air, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to... Uh, breweries. Breweries, thank you. <laughs> Burnt down a number of the breweries, and, uh, and and from that point on, Milwaukee took charge of the beer industry in the Midwest. Huh, interesting. Well, not much has changed. Look, at we've got all these new beer breweries and artisan beers propping and cropping up all over the place, so... What better with a hot dog or a Vienna than a big stein of beer? <laughs> you don't have to go to Chicago for that, but I encourage you to. Or if not, just pick up the book and read Chicago, a food biography by Dan Block and Howard Rosen. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, and sharing some very interesting tidbits. It's, it really sheds a new light on on Chicago as uh, you know as as a food central and. Uh, And I look forward to reading more of it. And thank you for listening on A Taste of the Past. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.